0: Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we have been so blessed by being here at ASI. By the messages that we have heard, by the workshops we've attended, the things we have learned, uh, the fellowship we've had with one another. And I ask now that your Holy Spirit be with us as we discuss something vital, I believe, for these last days. The union of the ministry of um, the medical work and the gospel work. And we want to come together and share ideas about how we can be more effective evangelists for you in these last days, I pray. Give us the wisdom that we need and collectively maybe be able to come up with great ideas for your service. For Jesus' sake, amen.
1: Amen. Okay, so just a little bit about us. Lindy and I are both physicians. We practice at uh, Kettering Health Network in Dayton, Ohio. So the Kettering Medical Center is an Aventus Health Hospital, and uh, I'm a cardiologist, a heart doctor, We've and Lindy is an internal medicine doctor, and she's the program director for the internal medicine residency. So she's a, a great teacher. We are also involved in AMEN, the Aventus Medical Evangelism Network. I currently serve as the president Amen has been going on for about 15 years now. We were part of the original group that got that founded. And that has the aim of <laughs> restoring medical ministry to churches and back to medical practices. Just a slide. This is just a thought from Christ's Object Lessons, page 69. It's familiar to many of us. Um, but it is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ were all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last great harvest would be ripened and Christ would come together the precious grain. The only reason that I wanted to start with this quote is because I absolutely believe that just as the pastor in a church can't be the one that does all the Bible studies and all the evangelism and all that, the health educator, whether it's a physician, a nurse, a dentist, can't be the one that does all the medical outreach every member is called to engage in this process so you guys are basically already saying that and just saying how do we do it with such small little churches here and there how many of you would say you have churches that actually have an effective medical outreach where the church is engaged in it Couple. All right. We'll circle back to some of you guys in a little bit then to get your input to how that's worked and what that looks like. Here's just a few questions that I raised, but you guys are coming up with some of the same ones already. How can we restore medical and gospel ministry to a blended outreach in our churches? That's basically what you guys have all been asking for already, right? How do we restore this in our church and in our community? And uh, who are called to be medical missionaries? So... We'll talk about that, or medical ministers. And then how can we heal the gap between lifestyle centers and and, and uh, traditional practices? We could say the same thing between churches and, and medical practices. And then how can each of our churches have effective medical outreaches? So we'll come back and talk about that, but that's basically what we're going into. So let me just read another quote from the... Um, entitled missionary health restorative gospel the lord has signified that the missionary health restorative gospel shall never be separated from the ministry of the word how many of you would say that our typical adventist health care and our typical evangelism is combined how many say that they've seen that typically happen So there's a couple of places where they're doing that. But sadly, too much, it's been not united. There's been a disconnect between pastors and the medical community and the churches as a whole have languished for lack of that. So the Lord Jesus has in his own example shown us the way in which his work is to be done in the restoration of suffering humanity. So... Ellen White is basically saying here that the gospel and the health ministry need to go together. If I teach somebody to deny themselves by giving up alcohol abuse or giving up smoking, is that a health principle or a gospel principle? Same principle, right? So wherever you start, If you're starting with helping them deny themselves, that's a gospel principle. It's also a health principle. And um, as a physician, I've found that if I don't tap my patients in to the source of strength to overcome their smoking habit, in fact, I believe now it's medical malpractice, if I don't point them to the source that can actually give them the power to change their smoking, then I'm not doing them any favors. The success rate on stopping smoking in most cardiologist practices is somewhere around 15% of their patients. And I don't know for sure, but mine is closer to 70% of my patients. And I believe it's because I offer to pray with all of my patients. But here's what happens, just as a little example, and you can extrapolate that to your churches, but when I tell my patient, If I say, John, you know you really should stop smoking, well, John already knows that he should stop smoking, right? All I'm doing is adding extra guilt to him. And in fact, if I say, John, you really should stop smoking, you need to work harder at stopping smoking, what am I doing? I am making him into a legalist. And that's a divorce between the gospel and the health message, right? So we, in our efforts to get people to make lifestyle changes, we need to be careful that we're not pushing them into legalism, which is the opposite of the gospel. And so I've learned instead to say things like, John, I know that God will give you the strength to overcome smoking. I know that if you ask him, he will give you power in your life to do that. I know that he'll help take away the urge to smoke. I know that many other people have done it successfully through God's strength and I know that he'll do the same for you. Is that legalism or is that the gospel message? They've got to be together and if they're not together, there's no power in them. So they have to be together so let me go on to one more quote and then i'll tell a couple of stories and then we'll try to get it back to some of you guys that are actually effectively doing this so another quote i think it's familiar to most seventh day adventists but i think it's really important so this is from councils on health page 34 christ was the savior of the world during his life on earth, the sick and afflicted were objects of his special compassion. The sick and afflicted he especially cared about. So when he sent out his disciples, he commissioned them to heal the sick as well as to preach the gospel. When he sent forth the 70, he commanded them to heal the sick. And next, to preach the kingdom of, the, of God had come nigh unto them. Their physical health was to be first cared for in order that the way might be prepared for the truth to reach their minds. Why is this important? Again, do you see the blending of the two? Do you see the order? What's the order? Yeah, he ministered to their needs and then he bade them follow me. We need to be caring for people's needs with the needs that they are concerned about. I am convinced that as we are living more and more in a post-modern world with all these millennials and even Generation Xers, they no longer care about hearing us preach to them about doctrine. Do you find that to be true? They don't. But... They are very big about getting engaged in a cause, very big about getting involved in service, um, and when they see the gospel lived out, it'll have a a powerful effect. So how many of you have heard of Pathways to Health or Amen Free Clinics? So we've been engaged in both of those, um, which are just a way to go into a community and uh, to do a free health clinic. It usually involves uh, dental um, cleanings, dental teeth. Uh, Sometimes they do tooth extractions and they do some fillings. Um, They've even done some bridges, but the machine's a little bit slow, so it's pretty limited. They do vision care. Um, At some of the bigger events, they will also have some clothing. They'll cut people's hair. They'll do massage. Um, They do a lot, and then also we do medical care. Some of these are very small scale in small churches, and I'll show you an example of that. Some of these are very large scale, like what was done with Pathways at the General Conference Session and in other big cities. so I had a patient that came in. I took care of his uh, blood pressure issues and his heart issues. He had not been getting medical care. He would also gotten some dental work done. And he was just amazed that there were so many volunteers and so many people that are willing to come and just minister for free to him. And finally he said what group are you guys with? And I said, well, we are Seventh-day Adventists and we are trying to do what Jesus bid us to do, which is to meet the needs of people. And so we're just volunteering our time. And he just literally got tears in his eyes. You know what he said? He says, I don't know what a Seventh-day Adventist is, but I want to be a member of your church. And that just again reiterated to me that there's more than one way to preach the gospel, right? So people would rather see the gospel lived out than to hear the gospel and not see it lived out. It's far more powerful. That doesn't mean he was ready for baptism, but he started at the point that most evangelists try to get people at after 15 or 20 nights of evangelistic meetings, right? He was starting with a commitment that I'm in this and I want to be part of it. We're trying to convince them over night after night after night to make a commitment. He started at that point and it's because he saw medical ministry work in action um, with people that were selflessly giving of themselves and that just shows. So Jesus' method was to minister to people's needs. When he sent the disciples out, they were to minister to people's needs. Heal the sick first, and then you have an open avenue to preach the gospel. And that's the method that most of our churches would do very well to follow. So I envisioned that every church would be a place of healing, not just physical healing. but not just spiritual healing, but also physical healing. All right, so any comments from where we've come so far? So this lady, Lindy right over here in the front, I'd like to hear from you what your health outreach at your church looks like. So just tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing. And again, this is going to be highly interactive, so...
2: My name is Marilyn, and I'm from the Avon Park, Florida, the yeah. Adventist Church. It's probably the second largest church in...
1: Just hold it a little closer.
2: Okay. It's probably the second largest church in the conference. And we have more ideas. Okay. Okay. We have more ideas than we have people to fulfill them (laughs) all. We have had a cooking school. We had Mark Anthony just Uh recently. And he pulled in 300 people to three, four different sessions. So people
1: from the community came in to hear a very top end chef talk about good healthy
2: And out nutrition. of that, out of those who we sent more flyers to, and we've developed a, a whole series of different issues that the uh, seminars on different issues that people uh, indicated that they were interested in, Mm -hmm. like uh, some support groups for mental health issues. We have depression support group and um, starting a codependency support group and um, uh, nutrition classes and exercise classes.
1: So these are things that people actually checked off that they were interested in. Yes, Is that and right? we started yeah.
2: classes. They're not big. You yeah. know? some of them have maybe eight people in them. Uh huh. And we have, along with that, we have classes on how to help people manage their finances, get out of debt, um, different things like that. But even though we have a large church, there aren't enough people. To help. So, but so
1: it reminds same. me of the text that the harvest is plentiful but, the, but laborers the laborers are few. Are few. Yeah. So pray to the Lord of the harvest. So you need a prayer yeah. ministry in your church as well, so that this can change it.
0: Wendy? I was interested, does anybody have vegetarian uh, clubs at your churches? How many of you have vegetarian clubs? How many of you can cook? Great. I think one of the outreaches that we have found at our church that works is a a vegetarian, we call it a vegetarian tasting extravaganza. We find people to cook good vegetarian food, we give little samples, and um, we advertise on the radio, and people come from all over the community to the church. and. yeah, and it's very nice, you just, I know someone mentioned they had only four people in their church, and that would be difficult. That used to have four people, you said, but just a vegetarian, tasty extravaganza, we call it. We cook very excellent food and invite the community, plan, it takes months of planning, And then it's a very good outreach. Once they get there, then we have some medical services, different stations on a Sunday, different different stations you can go to and get massages or... Some medical stuff, you know, uh, hearing testing, stuff like that, to get them in, and then you can begin to do some more medical outreach.
1: So for many years, our church yep. has done that very successfully with a health screening, and then this vegetarian extravaganza. They can taste a hundred different dishes in little small bite yeah. sizes, and it's really great in the community. Linda, you comment there, and one
3: back here. Okay. Just so it's on the subject, uh, somebody mentioned Mark Anthony. We. We were able to bring him to our community. We were in a town of 13,000. Uh, it's the parish seat, so we have about a 120-bed hospital there that meets the needs of the whole count, uh, parish. And we were able to get the hospital to actually allow Mark Anthony to spend a couple of weeks there teaching the hospital staff how to do plant-based cooking. And uh, he also set up a vegetarian line in the hospital cafeteria, which would get cleaned out before their regular line. Ooh. And then and he also had a cooking class that we got a lot of people to that class. That about 60 people actually came from the community that we would never get into our church. Uh, our church there had about 20 to 25 members con- uh, usually attending. We put on a monthly cooking class. Uh, we were an interesting church because we actually had three physicians in the church, Adventist physicians, and so we could we could refer patients the cooking class and so we would have about 20 some people attending each monthly cooking class where we teach them vegetarian cooking and also have a small lecture that we would give them Mm -hmm. so there's a lot that even a small church can do Mm -hmm. Uh, three physicians that's helpful but i'm sure that there's a way to work with that yeah, having a healthcare
1: professional in your church uh, that is engaged in health ministries can be very effective. This gentleman back here, yeah, and then in the I, middle, I just, and then over here.
0: I just wanted to follow up. I think as we look at outreach and health evangelism, I think that cooking, because everybody likes to eat, and I think cooking is one of the best ways. Even if it's one cook, make something, invite a few people in the community, and have them come in. Was that you have ever... a?
4: So. We've done a whole series of cooking classes. And yeah. what, what uh, we found out is my wife does the cooking and I do the talking. Mm-hmm. It's just enormous amount of work. Yes. Yes. So you're talking about this extravaganza. So what we started, um, so I've been having diabetes seminars twice a month, uh, twice yeah. a year, yes. a six-week series, and followed up with a cooking class. Well, we figured, you know, we are missing the continuity because the people were saying, we need this more often. So we started a supper club, yes, yes. but they bring the food. Oh, wow. So instead of us preparing the food, we, we said, okay, so we'll provide the salad. You guys uh, will bring the food. I need some people to sign up. And I had people fighting to sign up for the last uh, three months. We did, it, we did it the last three months, then we had a summer break. We'll start up again uh, next month.
1: Do you wind up with some strange food? No, I gave them, I gave them
4: here's the expectations. I typed uh, out, and I made it strictly vegan, and I said, I uh-huh. need you guys to read the labels and all this stuff. Yeah. And um, there was one mishap, a lady who put a little cheese on on the recipe. And nobody which is, died. Nobody died. <laughs> but she confessed. She said, oh, once I got here, I realized. Oh, That's right. Oh, That's good. Well, it's um, educational l- as well.
0: One, one thing I want to add, I've, I've seen a lot of hands, but... There are a lot of nurses in here. One other thing you can do is, like, you can do—you've heard of dinner with the doctor. So once you've done this cooking thing, uh, there are so many nurses in here. You can have dinner with the nurse and have the nurse give some health education things. In here. We've
5: had a vegetarian supper club for about ten years in our church and. Um, I changed the name to Meatless Monday Supper Club because I wanted people to not feel they had to be vegetarian to come. Uh-huh. And the and three M's. Meatless. Yum. And um, it too is a potluck. And um we just find that we get some very loyal members, and it's, it's been a wonderful opportunity. And I tell people, you know, um, you're always welcome to come to our church, but um, even if you don't come, we have a potluck, and, and you can come. And we've been having a, a Church of Christ lady come frequently, about 20 miles, to come to our potluck on Sabbath. And of course, there's table talk, you know, yes. at potlucks, and she's learning, she's learning good things. And then we have, a uh, every few months, we have something kind of like your extravaganza. It's called Defeat Disease Deliciously. And we have a large number of dishes. Like, it's, it's a dinner with maybe 12 to 15 different things. And I know that's not simple eating, but we want people to get a lot of exposure to different dishes. So we label the dishes, of course, at the supper club. And we Xerox all the recipes. And we have a different theme every
6: month, mm-hmm. which makes it interesting. Yeah. All right. So Travis? I was just going to say, one of the other things that, that's shown to be really really beneficial is to make sure we meet people where we are, or where mm-hmm. they are. So if you have somebody that's totally new to the vegetarian concept or very new to a vegan concept, uh, a, lot of, a lot of failures that we've experienced is pushing people too far. You have to change this, 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 and you gotta do it now. But if you say if you start gradually and start mm-hmm. introducing people to these new concepts and new things so that they can start working their way into it instead of trying to force it all at once, when they can make changes slowly and work into it, they have a lot better tendency to stick with it. Yeah. So a whole
1: bunch of comments okay. over bunch on comments. this side. Uh, where should I begin? Probably better head so over here, here. here. They've been, here. they've had their hands up a little while. Okay. So we're living in a new era, or being vegetarian is all of a sudden a popular thing to do. So we've been hiding under a bushel for 100 years, but somehow God's bringing an interest back. Go ahead.
7: Um, As I understand, Jesus' Jesus ministry in health, um, more often than not, had a lot to do with the very desperate situations of people. Yes. Now, that said, smoking is on the rise again.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: And there are, this church has a wealth of tradition in stop smoking seminars and strategies. Um, I have held uh, seminars for stop smoking, like with an audience of 130 people. Mm-hmm and it's amazing the response that you get yeah Uh, dr arthur weaver has a series of five videos um, that are on 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 tape on um, cd that could be used for the churches if there is a health professional kind of conducting this too so this is just you know like a question where are you know, our stop-smoking seminars that we used to major on, right. Mm -hmm. Another idea that I have had but haven't implemented yet is to uh, stimulate in my own community um, walking groups or exercise groups. I think that all of us could do this in our communities, start walking. So start
1: a walking club or a walking Walking group, absolutely. So a couple more hands, and I'll tell a little story.
8: So just to respond a little bit on, um, on the comment on you know to be a little bit a little conscious of the people who have, are not vegetarian. So apart from being a CNA, I am also a, I am the social work um, field, and um, also people observe what you eat people observe how you look and they have goals for themselves so that's what happened at my work at my job i you know i, I my coworkers always want to know what i'm eating what what are you what you got today what is that you always want to know what you're eating and then they want to see how you look and okay so how do you do that? Can I taste it? And then so they want to taste and eventually my co-worker, became, she became a vegan because she wanted to lose weight and she wanted to her blood pressure to go down. I never told her that she needed to stop eating and doing anything. I, I just told her what I was eating and how to prepare it and then we used to have lunch together and eventually I started educating her on the benefits of doing this and eventually she told me, guess what? I am off my blood pressure medication and things like that. So sometimes just being it's just you know it's just helpful
1: yeah so about of about 22 people that work in our heart cath lab over the years now there's about 8 or 9 of them that have become vegetarian just because we talk about it they make fun of me little by little they start trying it and they see the effects day in and day out and I always point that out to them so it does have an impact so Hanway over here yep
9: We've done several events <clears throat> recently in the last year in our church, and the last one was called Live Young Longer. And anybody that w- we advertised and um, anybody that was interested had to sign up. And I think there was a, a, a small fee, but it wasn't much. And they signed up with eventbrite.com, which takes a lot of stress off of the people. And so they already signed up before they come. And um, I think we use I can't remember if that's the one, we used some videos um, along with the food. And some of the people that attended later said, we want to come to your potluck uh-huh. on Sabbath. And thinking, oh, I hope it's gonna be okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, and Lindy, the lady right in the back row.
10: Sorry, I, I am from Argentina. Um, I just speak Spanish in present. I don't know how to speak in Spanish in, in future, so he, she was just for me. So they have a lifestyle center in
11: Argentina. Uh-huh. And they have a program called Healthy Sundays. So people come to spend all day Sunday with them. Uh-huh. So they start with a um, talk with the doctor, and then they go for a walk outside, and then they have a cooking class. So and in the cooking class, they prepare the food that they're going to eat for lunch and for supper. <laughs> in, in Argentina they eat a lot of meat and the barbecue is very famous. Uh-huh. So we do like a barbecue but with vegetables. So we all eat together and the people are enjoying themselves with us. And then we have a talk by a psychologist. And then we end with an exercise class.
10: Y la que tenemos,
11: and the last um, talk that we have. Eh, is called The Forgotten Remedy. Eh, y de la, de la and we talk about happiness.
10: De cómo vamos ser en de la vida.
11: Um, that we're forgetting how to be happy in our lives.
10: Mm-hmm. Y ahí, eh,
11: and since we believe that and so we present that God is the one that can give us this happiness and 100% of the people that come to these are Uh non-Adventists and sometimes we have fear presenting our God
10: Pero en realidad, la gente está
11: a but really, we've found people to be very open to he- to listen. Yeah. And after a whole day together, sharing and laughing together, they're very open to hear that last, that last uh, excellent talk that, that we had and we have five people that have been baptized through these excellent Sundays. Yeah, praise the lord that is so,
0: fantastic yeah hope everybody got all that because that is perfect that's exactly what you want okay so the thing i'm noticing
1: from these kind of programs though is they take a lot of work it's not something one person can do just on their own it's going to take the involvement of the whole church The nurse can't do it by herself, just as the pastor can't do evangelism just by himself. It has to be a whole church engaged. So um, a couple things. So the the one thing, one comment I want to make is there is a trend in some of our churches and in our hospitals here in the United States to put on purely lifestyle programs that don't have a spiritual component just to try to bring people in. And um, personally, I believe that's just wasting our time because there's no power to make lifestyle changes apart from bringing the spiritual component. So I liked what you shared about in Argentina, that it's tying that in. And if we don't tie in a spiritual component, we don't honestly get a lot of baptisms out of our traditional Adventist hospitals because we're not tying in a powerful spiritual component, nor is there much power to make change. So we need to be intentional to make sure that the gospel is blended with the health message just as much as we need to do the opposite, make sure that we're blending, the, blending it the other way around when we do evangelism, that we're combining it with the health message. So one, real, one story that Travis triggered in my mind about not uh, bringing people along gradually. <laughs> I think that's usually the best way to do it. But I had a patient a few years ago now, um, I'll just call Ron, <clears throat> who uh, came to my office, he'd had some chest pain, and uh, he had been living a very rough life. He weighed about 380 pounds. He um, looked, he came in with a cutoff t shirt and, and a leather vest and a bandana around his head on his motorcycle. He just looked like a pretty rough guy. He was smoking a pack and a half per day. He was binge drinking on the weekends. He was obese. He had diabetes, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol. And his father had died of heart disease in his early 40s. And so this guy was the walking epitome of somebody that's ready to have a heart attack. Problem is, his pain didn't really sound like his heart. And we did a stress test, and we ruled out the fact that this was actually coming from his heart. And um, usually the cardiologist would just turn you loose at that point and say, make a few changes, but adios, and uh, (laughs) it's for your benefit. It's my only Spanish word. But... um, But uh, I had been learning how to pray with my patients and realizing that that was a motivation for making change. And so I just felt impressed to say to him, and I always say this to my patients, by the way, I tell them, I won't ask you to do anything I don't do myself, which has kept me to have to be very careful with how I live, whether I want to or not. But I won't ask you to do anything that I don't do myself, but Ron... God has a plan for your life. And you're not having a heart attack right now, but the way you're living, you're going to have a heart attack very soon, just like your father. But it doesn't have to be that way. God wants to deliver you from smoking and from alcohol. And I just talked to him about the benefits of a plant-based diet. I talked to him about not smoking. I talked to him about the need to lose weight and how we could get him off a bunch of these medicines if we could address these problems. And then as I do with all my patients, I said, by the way, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Would that be okay? And this rough motorcycle gang like looking guy just started sobbing in my office and I said, do you, so actually I asked him, do you believe in God?" And he said, well I grew up I grew up in a, in a church but I haven't been to church in many, many years. I don't really know and I said doesn't matter God believes in you And so I prayed with him and I just said, Ron, God has a plan for your life I won't ask you to do anything I don't do myself, but this is the way that is the ideal way to live. And if you did this, you would never have to worry about heart disease. And so I just shared with him, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I eat a plant-based diet. I exercise three or four days a week, and I take one day off a week to go uh, to church and worship and take away time off from from work. And I just laid it all out there all at one time. (laughs) I did not put him in a CHIP program. I didn't put him in our, I didn't put him in a stop smoking program. Should have. I didn't even give him a brochure. I was early in my experience with this. Now I do those things. But the amazing thing is, and I said, but let's check back on you in another year. I didn't dismiss him from the practice because just want to see how he was doing. And a year later, he came into my office. Now, uh, weighing somewhere around 260 to 280 pounds, he'd lost over 100 pounds. Wow. And my nurse, who I always say, I like to jump to conclusions, said, oh, Ron had his bariatric surgery, his weight loss surgery. And I said, huh, I don't remember talking about that. But we saw some patients that did that, and that's just about the only patients we saw that lost 100 pounds in a year, <clears throat> was the ones that had their stomach narrowed down, stapled shut, so they couldn't eat. But he had the same sort of effects. And so I walked in the room and said, Ron, welcome back. Uh, I hear you had surgery. He said, I didn't have any surgery. I said, Well, what happened? And he says, Oh, you prayed with me and it changed my life. And I just did the things you said. So from the day that he left my office, he did not smoke, he stopped drinking. He started attending a church with his wife, and by the way, I didn't mention he had some marital problems going on and a lot of stress at home. And uh, he'd lost over a hundred pounds. He was no longer on blood pressure medicines, no longer on cholesterol medicine, no longer on diabetes medicine. He still was a little bit overweight, but he looked really good. He had completely turned his life around. And when I asked him, Ron, how in the world did you do that? He said, it's because you prayed with me. That doesn't happen with every patient. I agree that most patients need to come along step by step. And usually I don't dump the whole load on him, but I was impressed to do it in his case. Usually I'm impressed to just pick what is the number one thing you should start working on now and we'll work on something else the next visit and we'll work on something else the next visit, little by little. But here's what's amazing about this story. is five years passed. Now he's on no medicines, he has no health problems, he continued to lose weight. And uh, five years passed, and Lindy and I went to this thing called a homerama. A homerama in Ohio is a place where these home builders will build these multi-million dollar homes, and uh, they'll put them all in one little neighborhood, and so you can go door to door to door to door, and you can see the showcases of what the the high-end builders are building in our whole area. And uh, every one of them has a home theater, and... Seven, 8,000 square feet and they're all a million and a half dollars and you buy a ticket to go to these. Ours was given to us by a realtor friend and uh, you can go around and you can see eight houses and see all the latest trends and uh, you get in a line and there's 20 or 30 people and they'll let about 20 people into the lobby at the same time. So we all go into the lobby and there's this guy there with a white shirt and a tie on and uh, we're just kind of milling around and he says oh this is a home that's built by John Jones and it's it's uh, 12,000 square feet. It's on the market for two point- And he stopped. And he said, wait a minute. I know you. Now there's 20 to 30 people in the lobby. I know you. Oh, you're my doctor. And I didn't recognize him at that point. He said, and then he starts testifying. This is the doctor that changed my life. He prayed with me. And because of that, I, became, I went on a plant based diet and I stopped smoking and I stopped drinking and I started going to church. Basically, I got a little taste of what I believe the power of the health message is going to have in the very last days, because it's going to make evangelists out of our patients just like that, through the power of the change that comes into life. So, there is a definite power. So, I want to move on to this third point. So... I cannot do health evangelism to every one of my patients. I can take an extra two minutes and pray with them and tell them what the ideal is, but I can't do that. And so as a physician, I don't dare send any of these patients to our local dietitian at the hospital. They tell my diabetics that they need to just eat meat and protein. So they're eating eggs and bacon and staying away from fruits and grains and anything that looks like a carb. (coughs) They... um just aren't very enlightened. And so we're, I'm incredibly blessed to be at a church like you have, where every fall, every winter, and every spring, our church is putting on a program. And it alternates between CHIP, um, Diabetes Undone, and the Full Plate Diet. Same program, it's just packaged differently. It's a lifestyle program. But if I didn't have that, there is a, there is a there are a lot of churches where as a physician, I wouldn't dare send my patient because they're still arguing about meat and cheese in the potluck line. And how do we bring our patients in? How do we bridge this gap between those of us who want to do health ministries in our churches and find that the church isn't on board? And then I was talking to Travis and actually invited him to come. Several of you are from lifestyle programs How do you run a lifestyle program and then get those patients plugged into the church? Travis, you want to comment about that? Wendy, take that back to
0: him. Yeah, let me just say one thing about this lifestyle thing. Uh, Brian's had several patients come to the lifestyle programs that we've had at our church and get baptized, actually, Mm -hmm. from his practice.
1: No, there's nothing neater as a physician or a nurse or anybody to see your patient go to a lifestyle program
6: and then get baptized. You're probably not going to like my answer. All right. So we get a lot of non-Adventists, and where we're at in Colorado, we get a lot of non-Christians that come through our programs. We give away boatloads of literature. We have so many of our people leaving our programs asking for Bible studies. There is a huge gap between the lifestyle centers and the churches, well over 50% of the churches that we contact on behalf of our patients never follow through. Yeah, The people never get a phone call. They never, there's never a follow-up, over half of them. And in some states, we've just stopped trying because we know the churches won't follow through. Yeah, so
1: imagine that. Patients go through a lifestyle program. They learn how to eat differently, and they request Bible studies. And they go back to their home church, and nobody
6: contacts them. So, how do we fix this? It's a very simple concept. Mm -hmm. Total member involvement. Yes. We have to be willing as church members to take it upon ourselves, to take the initiative that it's not the pastor's responsibility to give Bible studies. It's not the pastor's responsibility to reach out to every single community member. We have to be willing to be involved in... I love the second question. Yeah, because there's a, a quote that a lot of, and it's so short, but the the uh, a quote from Ellen White, and and she says, when we pray for the sick, we also work for them. So who's called to be a medical missionary? Everybody. Mm-hmm. Anytime you pray for somebody that has a health need, you are now a medical missionary, and that's all some people need, as you testify to, is they just need a, somebody to pray with them. But when, these, when, the, when the lifestyle centers are reaching out to the churches, we have to have members that are willing to take those numbers and take those names and to reach out to these individuals because we're losing people.
1: Yeah, so I said this at the Amen luncheon just a little while ago, but I'm going to say it again. But what we see in the Spirit of Prophecy and what we see through Jesus' method is that every church is supposed to be a place for not just spiritual healing, but physical healing. Every church. But it goes beyond that. Every home should be a lifestyle center. Could you bring somebody to your home and teach them simple methods of eating and simple methods of exercise and simple lifestyle changes that they could make? And then that means that every member is a medical missionary. So this is something that we all need to engage in. All right, there's a comment over here.
12: I agree with you, but you know, the the grassroots problem with that is that we, as a people, do not fully believe our health message. And you know how it's very difficult for me. I do some community work, I do a cooking class. I don't, there's a group of us. And it's really difficult to have someone who does not believe in a plant-based diet, believe, I mean, make the food because they don't cook it at home. So if I, if we could just get our members to believe this and try it themselves, their testimony, would be like that guy. You would not be able to shut them up because they would see the benefits of this. So we really need, the foundation for me is a powerful week of spiritual emphasis and showing the benefits of combining the two. And there's, there's miracles does not always have overnight. Mm-hmm. It may take time as we change.
1: So, so we need a, a revival people, in our church.
12: A revival in our church. When that revival comes and we incorporate all that the Lord has promised to do, we will, you would will not be able to shut up. You would have to go out and tell.
1: So Ellen White says revivals only come through prayer.
13: I'm the one with the four people. Yeah. But <laughs> well, what I didn't tell you was I left a hundred and something um, members in a big church, and I was the plant-based cooker. Uh-huh. And it's gourmet. What I practice is if my kids want just kebabs, I make it vegan. Hold it based. real close. Oh, I'm sorry. If, if anything that's out there in the world that, yeah. that we used to be, I used to be first day, became an Adventist in '90. Yeah. I'm a very big cook when it comes to plant-based. Whatever you see out there in McDonald's, you have to make it very creative on your table at home they run from my food at the church when I was at the big church.
1: So I want to know how you make uh, french fries. They're one of my favorite things. Well,
13: french fries is easy. It's already (laughs) plant-based. You can make it oven-roasted, whatever. But when it comes to, you know, when it comes to the young, I I deal with a lot of young people from the big churches, Acreage and Wellington and and all that area. The small church is a a new church we just started in ministry. We have a big outreach in the VA hospitals and all over. Uh We hit the streets in the nursing home, small as we may be. But we have about four to 15 people that goes out and it's big. But Ooh. the plant base, we're trying to work in an area that's no Adventist Church out west of Boynton Beach. So that's where I am. But I used to cook big and I do health fairs um, in West Palm Beach and stuff. I get called from other Adventist churches to do health fairs. But I'm focusing right now and see what God wants me to do because it's like, I get calls that, you know, plan-based is very good, and you can do, out what you call it, the, um, in the city, they have things, events. Yeah. You can put up a booth and the everything. And be, and- but you have to make it very nice and colorful. Mm-hmm. The, the eye is appealing to people. And with the Bible studies in your area, in your church, I think... If the me- some members, are, are, they don't know how to give Bible studies. They don't feel confident. I believe that. Sometimes we, don't, we believe we're Adventists. We go to church on Sabbath, but really we don't know how to. But what we do is get amazing facts, Doug Bachelors, and we follow it. You tell the member, you get it for the church, and you tell them, give the first. You see what the needs are. You meet the needs of each individual that's not an Adventist. See what the needs are of that individual or the family. And you, and they would call up and see if they're willing or do it at the church location. And you take number one lesson. He has one to 25 or one to 27. And you invest in that and you fo- they follow it. Maybe they're a little bit afraid of doing it, I would think. A lot of people don't know do Bible studies. All right. So one of
1: the things I'm hearing you say is that if you're in a great big church that's not interested in this, get a few members and go off and start Amen. an outreach so that at least you can start somewhere. All right. Was there another comment I saw over here? Way over there was a hand, Wendy. Did you,
0: somebody, you have a comment
1: one here and then a back then over there.
14: In our church, we had a cooking class. And at the end of the cooking class, my daughter was inspired to pass out a sheet and ask if anybody wanted uh, Bible studies. And one lady responded, and I said, I'll be glad to do Bible studies with her. So we did the Bible studies together, and she was baptized at the end of it. And when we got to the lesson on diet, you know, of course, there was things that are not healthy for us, like coffee and tea and such as that, and she was a big coffee drinker and she said, oh dear, I'm going to have to change. And then she heard somebody else, uh, another topic uh, about how your brain cells are shot when you drink a lot of coffee. And she mm-hmm. said, I don't have any brain cells to lose. So she found something else to drink instead for a short time. And then about a month later, I checked with her and said, "How how is it going? She says, well, I went on the adventures camp out with my husband. And she said, and I, we were delighted to find out that most of them were drinking coffee, so we drank it too.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we live in a divided church where we need reformation and revival, but that's going to come. Go ahead.
2: Okay. I'm from Dalton, Georgia. Yeah. And for the past 40 years, I've, I've taught all kinds of health classes. Uh, one thing I enjoyed and that was to have classes in my home. Mm-hmm. There are about 12 people that came most from the community and I would serve a light supper about six o'clock. And then, uh, we'd do little stretching exercises and, and walking. And, uh, we, I live in a cul-de-sac and so it was kind of fun to do that outside. And, uh, Then I'd show about a 30-minute video. I usually prepared something that was demonstrated on the video. We've got all kinds of handy videos to use. And that was a blessing.
1: So there's a home-based lifestyle center. Amen. 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 All right.
15: I come from a very small church. And uh, we decided to get uncomfortable from Lexington. And we started one in Danville. And we are a full-fledged church right now. But what I am a nurse... I am reminded constantly, and I'm sure we all do, have our core leaders just, just blowing my mind apart in what I'm learning. We're learning cooking classes. We're trying just to be hold it innovative. A we are trying to be innovative. We're trying to bring Christ to the marketplace wherever we're at. And yes, you are right. Members have to be involved, but you know what? Like that lady down there that said, "I can't." It's a You need to have your own personal testimony to want to do this. It's your relationship with God. You can't force people and say, you are all coming with me and we're going to do... No, God is not interested in quantities, interested in the quality of me. Me, what are you going to do for me, Hannah? You know, you know so much and I want to serve you, Lord, but I need help. I can't. You know what? I can be a committee of one. I've lived in that neighborhood for more than 20 years. Every single person in my subdivision will come to me for questions only because they know him, they know me. You know, what should I do for this, with the foot, with that? You know, I said, you know, I'm not a doctor, but you know what I can do? I can take your blood pressure for you. I mean, we have had relationship with these people for over all these years. And now one of them will come and ask me, what are you eating? I don't want to shove things down their throat. Now, going back to the church thing, yes, we go to an area which is not a Mecca where you can get lots of avenues to call churches and they're all there to help you. No, we're, we're alone. We're by ourselves. But you know what we can do is um, we've had dinner with the doctor. They would listen to a doctor and buy what they say than what a nurse would say, right? But what they do know is that we are there for them. I make a plate of food on Sabbath and I'll go bring it to somebody. I usually do that. I go there, and I do not ask any members to follow me. And say, Hannah, where are you going? I said, oh, you know what? I'm going to go visit Mossy and just go check on her, and I'm bringing her some food. I'm just giving you guys some ideas, because at the end of the rope, when all this is said and done, it's between you and God, and I, I see the Lord. Dude, I don't know who you are. Were you my hands and my feet? We're, we can reach one. Yeah. I'm reminded of that story on that starfish. Yeah. Do you remember the starfish, doctor?
1: It was just you know, making me think you You know, that.
15: I made a difference in this one person's life. Yeah, I can't serve save them all,
9: but I did save this one. I feel like there needs to be a little bit education in the church, and with the pastors too, because sometimes we hear stories up front of of somebody trying to say you can't eat this or you can't do this at a potluck, and often times I've said, well, I've never experienced that, that's not, and so sometimes we hear horror stories from up front that make me feel ashamed to be a vegan, Mm. and I do not push it. People ask me often, but I I don't push it on anybody, but I think there needs to be a little bit of education. Yeah.
2: Okay, let's go ahead. Okay, one more
1: comment over here, and then I'm going to read another quote.
16: We talk about health and food, and we we want it to look good, to taste good. But what about the other side, Scripture? Mm -hmm. Do you want your people to look forward to studying the Word like they look forward to eating? Well, I'll tell you what my husband and I have taught our gospel outreach workers in Africa. It's a simple way to study the Bible. I never thought I could give a Bible study. You know, memorize all these things and move from one text to another. Well, this is a simple way, and I'll tell you in a few brief minutes. First of all, you choose a story. story works best. You can use any part of the Bible, actually. You can learn the doctrines. You can learn everything, this method. But you choose a story. You read it through and ask them just to listen like they've never heard it before. Then the next time, before you start to read it through again, you ask them, tell me, think about what is, stands out to you in this story. One thing. And everybody then afterwards shares what stands out to them. And they tell why. So they learn from each other. Then you read that same scripture story A third time, and you ask, who are the people in this story? And what does it say about God in this story? And so everybody has a different thought, and you learn from each other. The Holy Spirit is there. Then the fourth time you read this same scripture again, you will think, I'm getting tired of this scripture. But, no, I'm telling you, new thoughts come to them they never thought of by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. The last time you read it, before you read it, you say, we're going to have a special prayer and ask for the Holy Spirit to be here. Because we're going to ask you to ask yourself, what is it that God wants me to change about my life? Mm -hmm. Now, this is very personal. You don't need to share it with everyone. But at the end, if there's one or two that wants to share, they're free to do so. And there's always usually one or so that shares, and it's a real blessing to everybody. That is a simple way to give a Bible study. You all can read. You all can ask questions. Everybody, young people, love this method. It is working, and the gospel is spreading rapidly in West Africa by doing this method.
1: Amen. So a simple way to give a Bible study. So let me move on to a quote. So this kind of thing goes to what Hannah was saying, but how shall the Lord's work be done? How can we gain access to souls buried in midnight darkness? Prejudice must be met. Corrupt religion is hard to deal with. The very best ways and means of work must be prayerfully considered. There is a way in which many doors will be open to the missionary. Let him become intelligent in the care of the sick, as a nurse, or learn how to treat disease as a physician. And if he is imbued with the spirit of Christ, what a field of usefulness is open before him. And I'd like to extrapolate this beyond even just a physician or a nurse, Wow, our time's almost running out. Even as a physician or nurse, but everyone can learn some simple methods that they can share with their neighbors, like on the cul-de-sac. Just so your neighbors know, you're the one to go to that has the best bread. You're the one that knows to go to when they're feeling uh, sick. You're the one to go to when you have a spiritual question. Now, why in the world do we even begin to minister to people's Needs, let me just explain a couple more stories from experience and then we're going to wrap this up with a few final comments. But I have learned over the years that being willing to pray with patients or being willing to just share with patients why I do certain things, explain to them why I live the way I live, they may not respond to it right away. They might not respond to it for a couple of years. But here's an example chief of the fire department in our town um, needs a heart valve surgery um, because he has a congenital bicuspid valve, something he was born with, so this wasn't a lifestyle issue. Um, But when he was getting ready to have surgery, I said, by the way, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Would it be okay if I prayed with you? And he goes, oh, well, I don't really go to church, uh, but I guess uh, if it makes you feel better, that would be fine. (laughs) And I always say it makes me feel better so I prayed with him (laughs) then a few weeks later he actually came in for the surgery and I prayed with him again and and right after I finished praying he said you know what that made me feel so good could you do that one more time (laughs) so it takes a little while Two years later, I see him once a year. Two years later, he was my next to last patient in the afternoon, chief of the fire department. He doesn't go to church. He wasn't raised in the church. He might have been as a young person. But I realized that when he all of a sudden has a spiritual question, who is he going to go to to ask it? Yeah, he doesn't go to church, so he can't ask a pastor. He doesn't know church people. Probably the guys at work don't bring up religion, but he knows that his doctor thinks about spiritual things. And so you know what his question is? Doc, you're a pretty smart person. Can you explain to me why you believe the Bible is true? It's not a simple question. (laughs) It's a very deep question. 45 minutes later, my nurse finally comes and knocks on the door. Dr. Schwartz, you got one more patient waiting. And so we wrap that up. The very I only see him once a year, so the next year, and I gave him a little bit of materials to read, but the next year, he says, Doc, do you mind if I just ask you one more question? He said, can you explain to me, so you really do believe that the Earth was created in six days? Another 45-minute question. <laughs> Another knock on the door. This time I says, uh, yeah, you better start making the last appointment of the day. But again, it just reminds me, and this happens day in and day out now, where people are feeling comfortable asking spiritual questions just because I live my life the way I live my life, not because I'm prodding them, not because I'm prying into their lives, not because I'm trying to get them uh, to do that. I just live my life in a way that they know that I think about spiritual things and they feel comfortable asking it. And I think that's as medical missionaries, whether it's in our cul-de-sac with the neighbors around our house, whether it's in our churches where we are helping out with a cooking program, whether it's just simply when you're grocery shopping um, or just in your regular everyday contacts with other people, if you are concerned about other people and you live your life in a spiritual way, they know it's going to be safe to come talk to you when they have spiritual questions. And that's really what we're trying to do. We're just opening the door to a spiritual conversation and that's what medical missionary work does, yeah.
17: Yes, how can we um, help the people in Africa, I've been to many African countries as, as a missionary nurse, Yeah. and the people. Hold it real close. Eat a lot of meat, mm-hmm. and the leadership. Yeah. They're eating the meat more than the people, and coffee and all these things. So I think if we here can do something to educate the leadership, they in turn, you know, because first time I went, and then I, second time I sent International Meat Crisis, and the pastor meet me and say, girl, I've been trying to, my church for years, is only that book was able to help some of them to realize they must stop eating meat. Yep. So I think we have to help the, the leadership Even here, too, the pastors, a lot of the pastors eat the meat, and the poor people come into church thinking, they see the pastor eating the meat, they think it's all right, so when somebody as a missionary come to the church and talk about meat or some member, they ignore it, you know, so we have to deal with the leadership. Yeah, Lindy and And
1: I just did a health seminar and a gospel seminar in France where by and large everybody eats meat. But there has to be education. I think one of the things that's lacking around the world and we saw this on the screen the other last night about how the spirit of prophecy so little of it has been translated for the languages around the world but if you're a Seventh-day Adventist and you don't have access to the spirit of prophecy you are impaired it's like your right arm's cut off But it's the same thing with the gospel. If you're just trying to do evangelism without the health message combined, it's like your right arm is cut off. Ellen White says that's the right arm message. And so the best thing that we can do is to pray for our leaders and to share with those around us who are open as to the benefits, because there are so many benefits. So we've used up our time. And just again, God bless you as we begin the Sabbath this evening. We just thank you all for your participation and for being here at ASI. This media was produced
7: by AudioVerse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit
4: www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org